Turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 1, and we want to pick up our study in verse 1. We're going to be looking at this topic, uh, the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, that he has redeemed us. He has purchased us. We are one of his children, and if not this morning, that's the challenge to you. You need to be born again. Now, when we begin a new book study, I always like to give you a little bit of introduction. So stay with me for just a minute. As we begin our new book, remember it's called uh, uh, the letter, it's also called the epistle. As we come to this study this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, I always enjoy just taking you back and giving you some background. And, And we want to speak about the city of Ephesus. And why Paul was writing. Very important, and we'll see how God will minister to our hearts. So as you look at the book of Ephesians, the theme is that we are in Christ Jesus. Notice the importance that we are in Christ Jesus. Either we're in Christ or we're out of Christ. And that's the logic that Paul's going to bring forth. And then he's going to be speaking to the church at Ephesus concerning the unity of the church, the body of Christ. But as we get into verse 1, you're going to see that Paul's not just speaking to the church at Ephesus, but that he has been speaking to the church for the last 2,000 years. And that's the beauty of having his word. And we can draw the nuggets of gold from the book of Ephesians. Now, we know that the author is Paul the Apostle as the Holy Spirit gave him direction. Now, listen to this concept. The book of Ephesians was written uh, to the church in Ephesus. Now, if you know anything about uh, the Ephesian church, you can find them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And Jesus pins seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And when he comes to the church at Ephesus, they were in Christ for many years. In fact, they were working in the ministry, serving God diligently. But he said something interesting about the church at Ephesus. He says they had left their first love. And so Ephesus becomes the loveless church. And that is sad that we can be part of the church and not have this love of Christ. I'm afraid that too many in our United States of America, we call ourselves Christian, but do we know Christ? Do we actually have that relationship with him? Because, see, it's not a religion. It's a relationship that I must have. And so Paul emphasizes this to the church at Ephesus. But we're going to see something else. In verse 1, it was not just to the Ephesians, but it was also to the other churches. And the beauty of that is that we've had this beautiful text for the last 1950 years. And so this morning we can draw from it. There are others that believe that not only to the church at Ephesus, but also that this letter was uh, sanctioned to go uh, to the church at Laodicea. Now the church at Laodicea is also one of the seven churches in Asia Minor that God wrote to there basically in Revelation chapter 2, chapter 3. And so the book is written to another church, possibly. The Laodiceans, uh, you find them in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. They were called, listen, the lukewarm church. Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Who, Who likes lukewarm water? You either like fresh water and you like it cold. Or or think about coffee. How could you have lukewarm coffee? 
And so Jesus said he would spit them out of his mouth. And so I want you to think about this. This book is written for a purpose and a reason. Now the writing is 64 AD. Paul wrote the epistle while he was in prison there in Rome. But listen to the purpose now. The purpose of the book to establish the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. We're going to speak about six spiritual blessings this morning. That God said this was for the church at Ephesus, but it's also for us this morning. What a beauty. Paul is going to tell the church that God has what he's done for them. Not only the spiritual blessings, but look what God's done for you. I mean, he saved me. He saved you. He sanctifies you. He sets you apart. And then we're going to speak, like I said, and then he blesses you. Now, I know what your first concept is. God blesses me. What about the trials? Who doesn't go through trials? But in all reality, your blessings are always greater than your trials. And so Paul's speaking to a beautiful church. And yet they were struggling too. And in these days, in this time, we need to understand, we need to be encouraged this morning as a church here. We need to be encouraged that Jesus said, remember that he was the light of the world? But when Jesus prepares to die on the cross, to be buried, the resurrection, 40 days post-resurrection, and then his ascension, he had told the church, listen, you are the light of the world now. You see, people should see Christ in us. We should represent Christ. The word Christian is basically little Christ. Now, I, I'm not Christ, you're not Christ, but do people see Jesus in us? You see, the Bible says that we're walking epistles, that he writes his word on our hearts. When I meet somebody, are they attracted because of that light? Are they attracted because Christ is in me? Are they attracted and do they say, listen, I want what she has. I want what he has. 28 years ago when my friend Steve was sharing with me at work, I saw something in this kid. I saw the light of God. I didn't know it at the time. But I saw something in him, and I wanted that because I was struggling with my, you know, vices. And so be an example. And so this is what Paul is speaking of. Now, another thing that I like to do is when I begin a book study is to give you a background of the city. And it really speaks to us because if Ephesus needed the gospel, what about Las Cruces? And so let me give you some background. Ephesus, the city, was a large and important city in the west coast of Asia Minor, where the Apostle Paul founded the church. Ephesus enjoyed, listen, very much wealth and prominence. Uh, Ephesus was situated at the mouth of the river Keister. Ephesus was the most favorable seaport of the province of Asia Minor at the time, and most important trade center west of Tarsus. Today, interesting, the ruins of the city lie in a swamp about five to seven miles inland. It's still there, but it's not the city that it was. Pergamos, at this time, was the capital of the province of Asia Minor uh, in the Roman times, yet Ephesus was the largest city in the province, having a population, listen to this, of 300,000 to 400,000 people. That's a big metropolitan city even today. And so Ephesus, listen, 
Just to describe her more, contained a theater that seated an estimated 25,000 people. A main thoroughfare, some 105 feet wide, ran from the theater to the harbor at each end, which stood an impressive gate. The thoroughfare was flanked on each side by rows of columns of 50 feet deep. Behind these columns were baths and gymnasiums and impressive buildings. And so the most significant reason for the prominence of Ephesus was her religion. Listen to that. The temple of Artemis was her Greek name, or they also called her Diana, according to her Roman name. Ephesus was ranked, listen, as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world because of this tremendous edifice. When you went to uh, the city of Ephesus, you knew that there was this temple to the goddess of Diana or Artemis. And you went and you were amazed. Imagine, one of the seven wonders of the world at this particular time. Now, listen to this. At, as the twin sister of Apollos, we're speaking of Artemis, and daughter of Zeus, Artemis was known as the moon goddess, the goddess of hunting, and the patroness of young girls, or also the goddess of young girls. The temple at Ephesus housed the multi-breasted image of Artemis, which was reputed to have come directly from Zeus, and you can read this in the book of Acts. In chapter 19, verse 37, this multi-breasted image was made of ebony, and they worshipped it. And now you're going to see how the silversmiths actually got into the picture. And they made the amulets of Diana or Artemis, and then amulets of the shrine. And it was part of their trade. It was their, it was their, their bread and butter. But when Paul brought the gospel there, something happened. Many were coming to Saving Grace, and they said, hey, we don't need Artemis anymore. We don't need those amulets anymore. We don't need those shrines of Diana. And they just began to serve God. Let me give you this last portion of the temple. It was, again, one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple of Artemis, or also called Diana, in Paul's day was supported, listen to this, with 127 columns, each of them 197 feet high. The Ephesians took great pride in this grand edifice. Now you can see why it was part of the uh, seven wonders of the world. During the Roman period, they promoted the worship of Artemis or Diana by minting coins with the inscription Diana of the Ephesians. Now, listen to this uh, piece of knowledge. It took 220 years uh, to build this edifice. It was expensive at this time. It was made of marble, shining marble. And so can you imagine? Now, listen to these last numbers. 342 feet long uh, by 164 feet broad, uh, supported by a forest of columns, each 56 feet high. This is this temple. Imagine it. It was considered a sacred museum of masterpiece, of sculpture and painting. was well known at the time. Now, as I read all of this to you, you can see the reason that the Holy Spirit would send Paul uh, to Ephesus. But what about our city? God wants to do a work in our community. God wants to do a, a work in this Doña Ana Valley. 
There's so many here that don't know Christ. They go to church. They call themselves Christian. But do you know Jesus? Is there a relationship? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Redemption in Christ. Have I been redeemed? Or do I just call myself Christian? Well, I go to Calvary Chapel. Or I go to the Baptist Church. I go to the Methodist, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran. We, we can name them all. This community, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very Catholic. And all of these are good. There's nothing wrong. But do you know Christ? Is there a relationship? Have you been redeemed? And that's a challenge to us. And so Paul begins here in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul always gives a greeting or an introduction, and I like this. He begins in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and underline that, by the will of God, by the will of God uh, to the saints, that speaks of the church, who are in Ephesus, and here's where we come in, and faith and the faithful in Christ. So it's not just Ephesus, or it's not just uh, the Laodiceans, but it's us. In the last 1950 years, God has poured out his spirit, and it's his will to do this. But look at verse 1 again. Because Paul was not one of the original uh, appointed as an apostle by Jesus Christ, he was considered the apostle born out of due season. So many times it was uh, needful for Paul to affirm that he had, uh, been, he had not taken this office of himself, but that he had been called to it by the authority of Jesus Christ. So important, church. Paul was called to be an apostle. Remember that Judas Iscariot went out and he hung himself. The lots were cast and it fell upon one called Matthias. Well, the Bible says that God never ordained that. And we find later that Paul was the apostle born out of due season. I believe he was the 12th apostle. The word apostle, one sent out, one sent to execute a commission, it's applied Because the apostles were sent out by Christ to preach his gospel, the good news, and to establish his churches, that's exactly what Paul did. This is often possible only through the Holy Spirit. Paul did this as often as he could. He would go to a city and start a Bible study, if you may, and then he would start a church. The word apostle is another a word that I I like to play with in a sense. An apostle is a representative of Christ, obviously. We think of an apostle, uh, he is also considered an ambassador. Now, the United States of America has ambassadors. And when an ambassador goes out, he represents his country. Basically, you and I, if we're Christian, we're ambassadors for Christ. Wherever you go, wherever I go, I represent Christ. So do you. Maybe you don't have the title apostle. Maybe you don't have the title, you know, deacon or elder or pastor. But we are ambassadors, representatives of Christ. And as I shared earlier, when they see you, do they see Jesus? But notice in verse 1 again, by the will of God, this is Paul's call. Not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And then it says, sent out to the saints. The word saints here speaks of those in Ephesus, 
but to the faithful in Christ. So it goes farther. And remember the theme of the epistle now, that we are in Christ. I thank the Lord that the Ephesians were in Christ. And if it was also sent to the Laodicean church, that they were in Christ. And yet they struggled. They were the lukewarm church. Notice the Ephesians, they were in Christ, but yet uh, they were considered the loveless church. They just became mechanics in the ministry. Be careful when we just do the mechanical things. Well, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. Well, it's Easter, I got to go to church. It's Christmas, I got to go to church. A lot of people do that. Do we have that relationship with Christ? And so the church at Ephesus and to the faithful, the church for the last 2,000 years. That's who Paul's writing to. And then look at verse 2. We're still in the greeting. And he speaks about grace and he speaks about peace. Oftentimes this is described, listen, as the Siamese twins in the New Testament. And so Paul's here. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Siamese twins. Now, let me just explain quickly. Grace is unmerited favor. I deserve judgment, so do you. But God gives us grace. That's what was accomplished at the cross. I deserve to go to hell, basically. But Jesus died for me. He died for you to give us life, life eternal. And he gives us his grace. And because I have his grace, now I have his peace. The peace that passes all understanding. You see, man has always wanted peace. I mean, you don't think they wanted peace when World War I broke out, World War II broke out? The Korean conflict, the Vietnam conflict, and now in Iraq again? And we desperately seek peace. But we're always going to have wars and rumors of wars, the Bible says. But the peace that man seeks after, listen, is plastic. It's temporal. But the peace that I have, the peace that you have, is eternal. Oh, I might go through my struggles and my trials and my tribulations, but I have the peace of God in me. You have God's peace in you. I love it when you go to Israel because uh, the Jews, when they greet you, shalom, shalom, they always greet you twice. And the word shalom in the Hebrew is peace. So they say to you, peace, peace. And it's a beautiful, uh, you know, salutation. It's a beautiful greeting. But the peace of God that passes all understanding. So now Paul gets through the greeting, the introduction. He gets through this uh, salutation. And he begins the scriptural base now. Our redemption, listen. In Jesus Christ. He begins in verse 3. And he's going to go through a series of blessings that are available to each one of us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, speaking of the church, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, oftentimes as Christians, we will speak of, man, I can't wait to go home to be with the Lord. I can't wait to go to heaven and, and to just see the Lord, to be with his saints. Well, according to Paul here, you're a Christian now. We're in the heavenly places now. I, I don't think we need to wait to get to heaven. We will get there. But church, understand this. 
we're, we're seated with Christ now. And I, the things that we do should be for Christ. And so it's important that we see this here. And so Paul says the believer is seen as the benefactor, listen, of all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. I have been blessed. You have been blessed if we're Christian. Now you say this morning, well, I don't know if I'm blessed. Maybe you're not saved. Well, you want to be blessed, then you need to come to Christ. A bottom line. And so here's the key. And I've always believed this in my ministry. If I obey God and his word, he will bless me. He will bless you. Do what this tells you to do. This book, 66 books. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament. You say, well, I don't understand the Old Testament. Well, just read the New Testament. Get into the book. Look at the blessings that are there. Those same blessings that Paul is going to describe to the Ephesians, those same blessings are for us. And so a lot of times we wonder, okay, Pastor Bob, you're saying here, and you said you're going to go through six blessings. I've been a Christian a long time. What about my trials? What about my hardships? What about my frustrations? What about when my wife gets in an automobile accident or the husband gets in an automobile accident? Is that a blessing? Why is it that my kid was in the hospital last month? Why is it I lost my job? I was fired. I was let go. That's a blessing? No, those are trials. And see, we're not exempt. Christians die. Christians, you know, get fired. Christians get laid off. Christians lose their homes. This happens. But God still has blessed us. Years ago, I was attending a Bible study with an older preacher, and I never forgot this. He was talking about the blessings of God versus, in a sense, the trials. And he said something very significant, and I never forgot it. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, you'll understand this. He said, Bob, take out a piece of paper Divide that paper in half, and on the left side, put trials, bold letters. And on the right side of the paper, you've divided it now, put the blessings of God. And he says, Bob, start writing down. Go ahead, write all your trials down. So I go, all right. And you put down, you know, the refrigerator blew up, the stove blew up. This week for me, the van broke. I have to take it to the shop, have to trust this guy, praying that he doesn't charge me an arm and a leg. But at least it's going to be an arm, you know that. But what about the trials? What about that time in the hospital? What about my spouse? He passed away. She passed away. But this is what the preacher said to me. If you've been a Christian long enough, line up your trials. And on the other side, line up your blessings. He says, I can guarantee you, Bob, your blessings will always outweigh your trials. And church, that's true. Now, be careful because some Christians think blessings is financial gain. What if God never gives you financial gain? You struggle all your life. But God has blessed you, listen, with salvation. God has blessed your wife with salvation. God has blessed you, your children, they're saved. I mean, sometimes we just don't see the blessings. Listen to me. I've been through third world countries. Some of you have also. You're blessed that we live in a country. A country, listen, that has everything. 
They always say when you land from coming out of third world country, you come home, you want to kiss the ground. I've been there. I understand that. Even right here in our neighbors uh, in Mexico, just some of the colonias, you go in there, they're dirt poor, church. We are so blessed. And so Paul is telling us here, (coughs) excuse me, I've had a cold all week, with all spiritual blessings that he wants to give us. We're going to share more of them right now. Uh, We must see, now listen to this, uh, first, our position in Jesus Christ right now. You want the blessings? Are you seated with him in the heavenly place? Before we can learn the Christian walk, it speaks of our manner of life with Christ. Before we can walk the Christian walk, what is your position in Christ? Am I born again of the Holy Spirit? Am I sanctified, set apart? Am I changed? Has there been transformation? Has there been a metamorphosis? And so all this comes in. You just can't call yourself Christian. I I don't understand Christians that say they're born again to the Holy Spirit and they still drink like they used to drink or they still curse like they used to curse or they still steal like they used to steal or they still lie like they used to lie. Where's the change? There has to be transformation. And so Paul uh, continues, look at verse 4 now, and he's going to speak about more blessings. He says, just as he uh, chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in his love. Uh, This is a mouthful here, church. And so talk about blessings. Blessings that we have, spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. So in all reality, in verse 4, he begins the first blessing. And here's your first blessing. He chose you. That's what he says here. Or you would not be here this morning. He chose you from the foundations of the world. And that's another thing that baffles the mind. I want you to listen to this verse. Write it down if you want, but don't turn it. Let it sink in. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, listen to what God says. The word of the Lord came to me, speaking of Jeremiah, and it said, Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, uh, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet uh, to the nations. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Bob, that's Jeremiah the prophet. Same calling upon you. God chose us from the foundations of the world. Now, on your own, I want you to think of your birthday right now. Go back to that year. If it was 1980s, 1990s, when were you born? You go back to the 40s. You go back to the 50s. Pick that date out. That's your birthday. That's when you were born. Okay, go back 10 months before that. You're not conceived yet. You're not even in your mom's womb yet. God already knew you. You say, Pastor Bob, how do you know that? By faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I I love to do this in scripture. I tell people, turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then go to the left. What do you mean go to the left? Don't we read right to left? No, go to the left. Well, there's nothing there. That's right. He already knew you there. He knew you there. He already had you in mind. He already knew that you'd be here this morning. He knew that you'd come to saving grace. Before the foundations of the world. What a, what a beautiful concept. 
And so listen to Paul here. Then he says in in verse 4 that we are to be a holy people. The word is hagios. The, the Greek word says that we're to be set apart, separated, and sanctified for him. And now basically consecrated to God. And then he says, walk blameless. The word blameless tells us to walk without spot or wrinkle. Uh, to walk in purity. To walk in his love. Listen, Pastor Bob, <laughs> I'm not holy. That's right. But God is holy. And God has saved you. God has set you apart. You're different. You see, when I came to Saving Grace, I used to curse. I've shared that with you. I used to drink. But there was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. Nobody told me to stop drinking and cursing, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And even today, when I do something wrong, conviction comes. Guys, I don't know about you, but my wife says, did you throw the trash? I'm looking at the trash. Did you throw the trash? I go, yes. The Holy Spirit goes, wham, you're lying. Well, I'm getting up, aren't I? But little things like that. That's the Holy Spirit. I see a lot of you guys don't throw the trash. But we're working on it, right? Look at verse 5. I always tell the new guys that are getting married, and then they come back in the church, they're married now. So the first test, I ask the wife, has he washed dishes? No. And then I look at them because we counsel them. Hey, did you wash dishes? And let me give you the insight on that, guys. That's why you get a dog. When the dishes are done, no, don't do that. (laughs) It's a big dog. He'll clean the dishes faster. But look at verse 5. And here's another blessing, church. Yes, we're chosen, but there's something about the word predestination. And some of us don't like the word. Having predestined us, verse 5. And here's another blessing. To adoption. Radical statement. Uh, As sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according, this one baffles your mind too, uh, to the, the good pleasure of his will. You know, a lot of times you say, well, how do I know God loves me? Look, look what Paul the Apostle is writing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's the second blessing. God the Father has predestined us. He's speaking to the church. He has also adopted us. He's speaking to the church, into his family, bringing us into, unto himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So I would ask the question there, why? Why would God do this? For his good pleasure. God has redeemed me. God has redeemed you, the church, the body of Christ, for his good pleasure. You see, sometimes we have a hard time. How do I know people really love me? Well, I hope my wife loves me. I hope the husband loves you. Uh, My children, I hope they love me. As long as you give them something, they're going to love you. But how do I know? Because the Holy Spirit relays it to your heart that God loves me. While I was a sinner, while you were a sinner, he died for me. But notice the blessings here. That I've been predestined. I've been adopted. I've been redeemed. And for God's good pleasure, (laughs) the word redemption, listen, we have been purchased. We are a purchased possession. So you might equate right away, well, how much did God pay? Listen, this is what God paid. He paid all of his blood. He shed his blood for you and for me. Predestined. It's a big word. 
that God had foreknowledge of me. He chose us. He called us. He elected us. Verse 4 says that God chose us, speaking of the church, before the foundations of the world. We just read that out of Jeremiah uh, chapter 1. That he chose us. Here's another translation, simple translation. That he picked us out of the, the group of mankind. He picked us. He picked me. He picked you. That he elected us. He chose us out of that same group. That he called us. Called us from uh, the whole world standard. I want you to think of that. Predestined. He determined us beforehand. Before the foundations of the world. He ordained us. Listen. He foreordained us. Predestined us. But look at the word adoption now. And I'm going to say a harsh word here. He adopts us into the kingdom of God. We're one of his children. We're not illegitimate. We're not bastard children. But we're children of God. And if not this morning, church, what are you waiting for? I'm baffled that salvation is so simple. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why do we wait so long? In my testimony, I came to Saving Grace at 32. Everybody at our church, a bunch of youngsters getting saved, you know. And I remember praying. I said, oh, Lord, thank you for my salvation, Lord. But why did you wait till I was 32? And I always get that small, still voice. It wasn't my fault. God was there, always was there, but we're so busy meandering through the world. Doing those things, those appetites of the world, until the Holy Spirit finally, you know, cracks that knucklehead. And you come to saving grace. He redeems us. He purchased us with his blood. And then he adopts me. And if I'm not adopted, then I'm still illegitimate. Oh, I might have my biological parents, but I don't know my heavenly father. And church, that's available. All we have to do is ask. Look at verse 6 now. And this whole concept, he chooses us, he ordains us, he calls us, he elects us, he predestines us, and, and then we, we shared here, he adopts us, and then he gives you the reason. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So here's the third blessing, if you may. We're accepted by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. God will not and cannot accept us apart from Jesus Christ. I must come to saving grace. Then He accepts us. I can't just come and say, Lord, will you accept me? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you been made acceptable? That's what He's saying in the Greek. Well, you say, that's not fair. I haven't chosen God. Well, then what are we waiting for? We need to choose Him. You see, God has built in us free moral agency. We're not animals. Animals have instinct. You ever thought of Noah when God says, I want you to build the ark? Tell the animals to come in two by two. They did. They're obedient to God's call. What about us? Always thought about it. Two lions walked in. I could just see God putting two lamb right in front of those. And the lambs are going, wow, lunch and dinner. <laughs> but what about us? We've been given free moral agency. We have the freedom, listen, of choice. 
Well, if God's chosen me, God's elected me, God's called me, why doesn't he just save me? Because he wants you to call upon him. He doesn't want robots. He wants Christians that will say, Lord, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Now that I know that, I want to accept you. Come into my life. And I tell you, church, if you're not saved here this morning, I'll give you that opportunity before we close, and he'll come into your life. Something will transpire. That's the mystery of salvation. God does the work, not me. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Look at verse 7. Now he continues this. In him we have redemption now. Listen to this. This is going to be the fourth blessing. In him, speaking of Christ, we, the church, we have redemption through his blood. Again, he speaks of his blood. For he says, in his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches, and here's that word again, grace. You see, I deserve that judgment again, but he gives us grace. So here's the fourth blessing. We have been redeemed, and it speaks of past, present, and future. But here it speaks about past tense. By his precious blood that was shed at Calvary 2,000 years ago. All of our sins have been forgiven. Washed in his blood. Past, present, and future. You see, church, when I sin, and I do. When you sin, and you do. I have an advocate with the Father. I have a, a lawyer for my defense. Oh, I'm saved. I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, I do something stupid. And the devil's there. The devil goes before God, the Bible says. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he says, did you see what Bob just did, your pastor? You know what the Lord says? Yep, he's one of mine, covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen to this psalm. Write it down. You can read the whole psalm tonight. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. I just want to read it to you. Because he does redeem us. He paid the full ransom for me. That's the word redemption. He paid with his blood, and he forgave us. The word to forgive, he's delivered us. He's delivered you from hell and damnation. But listen to this. Psalm 32 speaks of the joy of forgiveness. But let me set up the psalm. King David wrote the psalm. Now, if you know anything about King David, he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he was the king. He saw her bathing, remember? And then he asked for her. And he went into her. She became pregnant with child. And David tries to cover his sin. And he knows that she's married to Uriah. And he sends Uriah to the hottest part of the battle. There was a war going on. And he gives papers, hands them to Uriah. He wants them in the front lines. Uriah's killed. And David, his sin later is exposed. But he thinks at that time, my sin's covered. And he marries Bathsheba. But listen to David because he writes Psalm 32. And Psalm 51 goes with it. This is after David's sin was exposed. On your own, back in 2 Samuel chapter 2, God sends a prophet by the name of Nathan. He sends him to David, and he tells David a little riddle. David, there was this man that had a little ewe lamb. The little ewe lamb was like a pet, loved by everybody. But some people came to visit, and they were hungry. 
And so this man took the little ewe lamb, the little pet, and he slaughtered him and he cooked him and he served it to his guests. David, what should we do to that man? The Bible says David rose up and he was angry. He says, we should kill that man. Nathan the prophet said, David, you're that man. David's sin was exposed. Psalm 139 says that God is the all-seeing eye. He sees everything, church. And so David writes this beautiful psalm in repentance. And he writes, he writes Psalm 51 in repentance. But let me read just the first two verses of Psalm 32. And we've been speaking about blessings. He says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, covered by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 2 says, Blessed is the man to whom uh, the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so David realized forgiveness. In Psalm 51, David says, God desires a man with a broken heart and a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You see, that's conviction. And then in that same psalm, David says, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David had come to that place of a broken man. And he was open. He was vulnerable now. And the Lord saved him. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. David knew that. You should know that. Look at verse 8. Let's continue in our text now which he made to abound, this forgiveness, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And you know how God's proven that to me? Yes, by the cross, but then he bestows upon me his grace. That word grace again. Unmerited favor, I deserve judgment. But in verse 8, God has made his, his kingdom by his grace to abound, listen, to abound or to excel on you and on me, in all of his wisdom. This is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God is what saves you, not the wisdom of man. And all prudence speaks of his intelligence, the intelligentsia of God. God's full understanding that his blood shed at Calvary 2,000 years ago has produced his grace upon us continually. And that's the God that we serve, church. That's the God that died on the cross to give me life and to give you life. How can we cheapen the salvation message of God? Again, church, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 9 now. Having made known to us this mystery, the mystery of salvation, the mystery of his will, in my life. In other words, his will in my life is that he wants to save me. He wants to save you. In verse 9 again, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, there's that word again, which he purposed in himself. So here's the fifth blessing, if you're keeping track. God has so graciously made known to us, speaking of the church, the mysteries of his will, that he desires to save you and to save me. A mystery is the previously hidden truth now divinely revealed to you by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Listen, I know I'm a rat. You know you're a rat. Well, God wants to save this rat. And he wants to save you. That's a mystery. Why would you want to save me? 
If you were God, would you want to save somebody else? No. Would you send your son? No. But God did. The love of God, church. And see, it's a mystery, and now I understand that mystery. A previously hidden truth. It was his will to save me. He died for us while we were yet sinners, we're told in Romans. Now, this mystery is divinely revealed in my heart into your heart. He did this again. Look at the phrase here. For his good pleasure. God made a way of escape for you and me through his son. Listen. For his good pleasure. The word good pleasure combined together. For his good pleasure, his will. Listen. His great desire, his great will is to save me, to save you. God's will is to save you. God's will is to save me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Look at verse 10 now. Let's continue. That in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Now we said that we're in the heavenly place now, even on this earth. But here is verse 10. I love this. Listen to God's plan. At the exact time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Now, one of the things that I love to read is um, about the rapture of the church. The church at Thessalonica believed uh, so much that the rapture of the church was coming. They were on fire for the Lord. Paul believed that the rapture of the church was coming. And here we are, 2007, and the rapture of the church hasn't come, but it will come. How do you know that, Pastor Bob? By faith. God has a plan, and at the exact time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, his appointed time. Now, I want you to listen to this. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, there is an appointed time for men to die once. It's important that we see that because there's a lot of people that believe in reincarnation. Some of you might not remember, but Shirley MacLaine, she was really into reincarnation. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to die and then come back as a bug. Come on. Or if you're pretty good, they say you come back you know, as a dog. Why do I want to come back as a dog? I like dogs, but I don't want to come back as a dog. Then they say if you were pretty bad, you could come back as a goat. I said, you guys are nuts. Notice that there's an appointed time, once to die, and then after this, the judgment. We're all going to die one day, unless the rapture of the church comes. But we're all going to die one day. And the key is, then the judgment. Do I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or... Has judgment been appointed to me? Is my name written in the book of life? And so speak about this dispensation of time. It's all going to come together. Now, another subject, the dispensation of time in your life, God knew exactly the day you would get saved. If you're not saved this morning and you come to saving grace, God knew that you would get saved today. God knew that you would be in this church this morning, this day. The appointed time. God has a plan. We try to figure things out. Those are mysteries. Let God work them in your life. 
And, and again, I speak from experience. When I finally just surrendered my life to Christ, wow, thank you, Lord. Again, Lord, why did you wait so long? It wasn't my fault, Bob. Look at verse 11 now. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Oh, we've been speaking about a lot of blessings. This is the sixth blessing. We spoke that he chose us, he calls us. We spoke that he predestined us. We said that he adopted us. And now we read this word, that we have this inheritance. What a beautiful uh, word. Being predestined according to the purpose of him, whose work all things according to the consul. And there it is again, of his will, of his will. Verse 11 is that sixth blessing, if you've been keeping tabs. We have an inheritance now. Because we have been chosen from the foundations of the world uh, to be saved. Again, Paul clarifies that it's God's purpose to save me, to save you. According, now he changes it a little bit, to the counsel of his perfect will. To the counsel of his perfect will. Because God's will is perfect. And so inheritance... Inheritance that we, as the true church, the body of Christ, we have full access to God's possessions. The word will here is the word lot. And in the Old Testament, uh, they cast lots, and then the, the 12 tribes of Israel were given parcels of land. Now I was thinking of this concept here. What if you never buy a house or have an apartment, or a trailer. I mean, you, you scrounge all your life. Maybe you don't have the great finances, but man, you have this inheritance now. In John 14, we begin there. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. He's preparing a place for me. If I'm one of his children, I have inheritance. You mean, Lord, everything that's in the kingdom of God, it's mine? The Bible says that the streets of gold are in heaven. I've never had a gold bar. Well, you get to heaven, Lord, this is my street? Yeah, what do you, it's yours. Can I take a chunk of the gold? Yeah, I don't know why you need it. There's no 7-Elevens up there. <laughs> it says that there's 12 stones on the gates of heaven. Wow, I've never owned a stone. You see, God is going to give us inheritance, church. One of my commentaries said about verse 11 here, this blessing of inheritance. He says, here lies the complete uh, sovereignty of God. And yet, listen, the responsibility of man. Oh, the sovereignty of God, he's going to save me. He's going to save you, but I have a responsibility. I have to respond to that call. Notice that he says here at the bottom of verse 11, according to the counsel of his will. When I read that, who does God get counsel from? From you? From me? I don't think so. But we have the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the counsel that they got, that it was God's will, listen, to save me, to save you. It was God's will to give us this inheritance. Man, I'll tell you what. I've been a Christian 28 years. 
I would not change my life for anybody. Oh, come on, Pastor Bob. The richest man in the world, you wouldn't change places? What does it profit a man, listen, to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So Paul speaks to the church at Ephesus and to the church the last 1950 years, our redemption in Christ. He comes to the conclusion, verses 12, 13, and 14, and now he gives us uh, something else to understand. We have a guarantee. That's another blessing. We have a guarantee, and that guarantee is the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life. Look at verse 12. Uh, that we who first trusted in Christ Jesus should be uh, to the praise of his glory. God's whole purpose, we've already shared this, was that we who were the first to trust in God should praise our glorious God. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you even saved me, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you considered me. Now, right here in verse 12, the first who trusted in Christ is speaking about the Jews. You see, salvation was to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. But I love Romans chapter 11. We've become the grafted in branch. God's not finished with the nation of Israel, but God's not also forgotten the Gentiles. And all this to the glory of God. We should praise him for that. Look at verse 13. We're going to see three steps here so beautifully. In him, speaking of Christ, who also, or in him who also trusted. I trusted in Christ. You trusted in Christ. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because I trusted Christ, you trusted Christ. Now he seals us. I've come to that place of salvation. He seals us. How did I come to saving grace? Look at verse uh, 3 again. We have three positions here. Number one, here's the first step. I heard the word of truth. You're hearing the word of truth this morning. I heard the word of truth 28 years ago. You heard the word of truth. Put those numbers in there. You heard the word of truth. And you heard it in your mind, but then you took it into your heart. You took it into your heart. Here's step two. We believed in this truth. What is the truth? The gospel of our salvation. We believed in it. That's your second step. Thirdly, I obviously come to saving grace, and then he seals you. He seals me with the Holy Spirit of promise. And if you're taking notes back in Joel Chapter 2, verse 28 through 32, it was the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then you go to the book of Acts, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell upon the early church. You're sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor Bob, I don't feel like I have the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible says we don't walk by feelings, but we walk by faith. And I'll tell you what. You stop cursing. You stop drinking. You stop whoremonging. You stop all the sins and I can tell you the Holy Spirit's working in your life. But if you continue to do those things, I can honestly say there's no conviction. Something happened to me. Something happened to you. God changes us. God transforms us from the inside out. Don't try to change the outside. Well, if I just get a haircut, get a shave and everything. No. You can even smell good. It don't matter. Is your heart been changed? You see, we come to God with a callous heart. We come to God with a hard heart. We come with God to God, listen, with a prideful heart. 
My Bible says that God is the only one that can remove that. Only through the power of his Holy Spirit. Oil in the Old Testament and New Testament was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When the priests were anointed of God, they would pour oil on top of their head. It says that Aaron, when he was anointed, that they took a flask of oil. It was probably a ram's horn, and they poured it on his head. The Bible says that it it went through his head, through his beard, and it saturated to his body. The concept there is that he was anointed from head to toe. In the Old Testament, they used to anoint uh, the right thumb because of the work of God. And they also uh, used to uh, anoint your right toe so that you would do the work of God as you walked. And then they would anoint your right ear so that you would hear the voice of God. The Holy Spirit falls upon you. You're never going to be the same. And here's the guarantee. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the proof text, the receipt, if you may, of my salvation, your salvation. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit because I am purchased, I am redeemed, I am saved to the praise of his glory. 